You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. We're kicking off a brand new series today. I am super excited about this series. It's simply called My Family Circus. We're going to take the time for the next six weeks to dissect apart God's Word and find out God's answers to surviving my family of clowns, daredevils, and showmen. Any of you in the house today have any clowns in your house, any, any daredevils in your house, any showmen in your house? If you're not raising your hand, you are that individual. Every one of us has this type of personality, either in our immediate family, we are that person, in our extended family, in our circle of influence. So the question is, how do we deal with the clowns in our family? How do we deal with the daredevils? How do we deal with all of the, give me my screen again, showmen in our family? See, I'm at that point of life that the memory is about this long. Come on, anybody else with me? So maybe we should say clowns, daredevils, showmen, and that other thing. We'll put that in there also because I'm sure that's going to come up from time to time. We're going to take some time over the next six weeks. We're going to dive into what does God have to say about dealing with the family? What does it look like for you? What does it look like for me? How do we deal with all of those things? You say, this series is for everyone. So I would encourage you right now, some of you have already checked out on me because you saw the word family and it scared you to death. Maybe you're a single young adult and you're like, I don't even know what a family is. I can't even figure out even how to turn my alarm on this morning or how to turn it off. I set five of them and slept through every one of them. I mean, that's where you are right now. I don't know what your family situation looks like, but I want you to understand that over the next six weeks, this is going to pertain to every one of you, either immediately or in the near future. I was at a wedding yesterday and performed the wedding yesterday, 24-year-olds, the male and the female, both 24, and I, I had a moment where I thought, man, my son is 18. He is six years away from that. I'm not ready for that. He's not ready for that. Young adult females in the room, he's not ready for that. No ideas. Don't get any ideas. We're going to discover. Sorry, Chan, I didn't mean to. Yeah, my, my kids told me at one point that every time I use them as a sermon illustration, I should pay them. Um, that hasn't happened yet. But if you want to do that, take it upon yourself and, and see Chandler right after service uh, today. I want to look at this idea of the family. Now, if you were asked me 25 or 30 years ago what the family looked like, the answer would probably be a little bit different than how I would respond today. You see, back in the day, 25, 30, 40 years ago, we would typically give ourselves the leave it to beaver response. A family is a mom, a dad, and a couple of kids, and maybe, just maybe, a pet if you're lucky enough to have a pet. How many of you remember Leave it to Beaver? That was pretty much them, minus the pet. They didn't have the pet in the house. But if you were to look at the family unit today, we discover a family can be anything from a mom and a dad and a couple of kids 
Or in some of your cases, a mom and a dad and several kids. It can be a single mom with a child, a a single dad with a child. It can be a young couple with a pet. I can't tell you how many of my young adult friends that have gotten married, they have a dog and suddenly that becomes the grandkid. I'm not sure how that works, but somehow in the family circle, that's kind of working out. We could have a a grandparent raising their grandkids. The list goes on and on. But the question I have is this. Is the family unit important? Do we really need to take the time to, to dissect apart this family unit and really understand what it's all about? I would venture to say yes. Now, society would probably argue that fact. Society would tell you that the family is not really important. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But I want to read our text to you today. It's taken from kind of a well-known area of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7. Beginning in verse 24, he says this, Anyone who listens to my teaching, again, Jesus is speaking, anyone who listens to my teaching and, and follows it is wise. Look at your neighbor and say, are you wise? Like the person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents, which means massive, heavy amounts, and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish. Like a person who builds a house upon the sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Anything we build must have a solid foundation. Anything you build in life must have a solid foundation. And if it doesn't, guess what? It will not last. That can be a home. That can be your life. It can be your marriage, it can be your family, a business, the church. Anything in life that's going to last must have a strong, stable, healthy foundation. So when the winds begin to blow, when the problems begin to come, when the the waters begin to rise, it will have the firm foundation to stand upon. So why in the midst of this series on the family are we talking about a foundation? Because the foundation and the core of any society is this, the family. Let me say that again. The foundation or the core of any society is the family. And the family is the healthy development of knowledge and wisdom and relational skills and morality and correct view of authority. There's something that's missing in society today. Stable emotions and the development of a work ethic and responsibilities. It's the core of the development of honesty and integrity and trust. The list goes on and on. You see, historically, it has been proven over and over and over again that when the core of the society, which is the family, when it begins to erode, so does that culture and that nation. Kate Millett, an author and artist and feminist, human rights activist, and she was named one of the most influential people in America in the 20th century, she made this statement. 
The family must go because it's a family that has oppressed and enslaved women. Never before in our history of the country in America has the family been under such attack as it is now. For instance, a few years ago in the Washington Post, in the opinion section, this was posted. Marriage has never had a definition that works for everyone in all cultures. Marriage is an elastic institution. In other words, it's an argument against the one man, one woman marriage. We must not deviate. Listen carefully, church. We must not deviate from God's definition of the family. We simply need to go back to the foundation that God designed for a healthy, strong family. A productive, thriving society. If we're going to have healthy families, we must counteract the culture. Right now, we've got a, a small percentage of the minority making all of the changes for the majority. We've got to go against the tide. We've got to swim upstream. So how do we do that? We begin by making a commitment to God's design. We need the family. Even if it resembles a circus. Even if there are times that we have clowns and, and daredevils and showmen. You see, for the next few moments, I want to look at the layout of the family. How do we counteract the culture? How do we fight against a culture that, that so wants to eliminate the very foundation that this country was built upon? How do we counteract a society that is going to try to convince you that this is not true? Boy, you guys are quiet today. I want to give you three obstacles that we must prepare for. By the way, anything that's worth keeping is worth, worth working hard for. It's going to take preparation. It's going to take due diligence. It's going to take hard work on your part, on my part. If we want to counteract the culture, listen carefully, the church has got to stop sitting idly by. The church has got to get off the sidelines. The church needs to get involved and make an impact to make a difference. For God has called us to be a light in a dark and perverse world. Yet for so long we say, well, I don't want to really say anything. Because that might offend them. I don't really want to say anything because they might get upset with me. Unless I'm mistaken, Jesus said they're going to hate you. Why? Because when the lights come on, all the cockroaches begin to scatter. Yes? Church, we've got to be the light that God has called us to be. We must counteract our culture. Three obstacles. Number one, prepare for the culture. 
In other words, prepare for the rains to begin to fall. Matthew 7, 25, the very beginning. Though the rains come in torrents. I discovered something this past 4th of July. Anybody ever hang out for any extended time under a big tent? Maybe it's a circus. Maybe it's a firework tent. I'm more familiar with a firework tent because that's what we have Every July 4th season, we have a firework tent. We learned a valuable lesson this year. There is a certain way that you need to prepare the tents for the elements of society and, 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 and the rains and all that come down. Our tent was put up, and after it was put up, and that's a lengthy process, it takes some time, it was discovered that it was put up the roof was put on upside down. Now it looks pretty much the same. Just from the visual eye, it looks pretty much the same. But it makes a huge difference when the rains begin to come. See, in years past, the way it was set up when it was done correctly, we were putting the sides up. If rains came in, we could keep the rain out of the tents. Well, this year, or last year rather, the, the top was upside down. So when the rains came in, come on somebody, we were moving fireworks, we were setting up barriers, we were doing everything we can, we were covering things, why? Because we had it done wrong. And society is trying to counteract the right way to do the family. They're trying to say, you can turn it upside down if you want and it's going to be okay. You can put it on its side if you want, and it's going to be okay. But I want you to understand, there is only one definition of the family. We've got to counteract the culture. We've got to prepare for the culture. We've got to prepare for the storms to come. You see, as a family in this culture, and as a family that is going to be healthy, we must go against the tide. Just as heavy rains soak everything in sight, the culture permeates our homes. The culture permeates our society. The culture permeates our families and our marriages. You don't believe that. Begin to watch the sitcoms that are on TV. Every sitcom shows the dad as a buffoon. Every sitcom shows the mom as a nag. Yes? Oh, it's funny. We sit there and we laugh a lot. But society is doing everything they can to destroy the foundation that God has given us. There's actually groups of people committed to the destruction of the biblical family. We have to be aware that culture does influence even the Christian home. Just like continuous rain, as it erodes the house and the area around the house, our culture has an eroding effect on our homes, upon our families, upon our marriages. There is no doubt that it's harder to stay married today than ever before. Society would say, just jump ship. If you're tired of her, trade her in for a younger model actually saw a sign yesterday that says why guys love guns more than they love marriage. said if you have a 44, you can trade it in for 222s. 
I won't give you the rest of the list. But I chuckled a few times. Let's look very quickly at me digress. <sighs> See, the other ones are coming through my mind right now, and I'm not going to tell you what they were. All I'm going to say is this sign was in the men's restroom, is all I'm saying. Four factors in culture harming the family today. Four factors. Number one, alternative lifestyles. There are so many different opinions and challenging voices today. There's mass confusion regarding real marriage. In the very beginning, God ordained the family. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern over it. He uniquely made man different than woman. Physically, emotionally, and sexually. He uniquely made woman different than man. Physically, emotionally, and sexually. But here's the biggest deal. God made man and woman for each other. It's not good that man should be alone. God made man a a helpmate, part of man. He took the rib of Adam. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, this is why the, the man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. God made man and woman for each other. Number two, sexual immorality. Statistics tell us that 41% of teenagers report they have had premarital sex. You see, Hollywood, social media, would try to convince us that it's natural, it's normal, it's, it's part of life. I remember as a teenager, I was scared to hold a girl's hand. The good news from this is, is this, that number has dropped from 59% over the last few years. Statistics also tell us that one-third of marriages, that one or both partners admit that they have cheated on their spouse. 33% of marriages, one or the other or both, have cheated on their spouse. Our society has lost sight of the true value system, true levels of morality, Number three, the economy, economic pressures, materialism, the idea that we've got to have more. Suddenly we have both the husband and the wife working out of the home, sometimes multiple jobs. We try to earn more, to have more, so we work more, so that we can have more. We hustle and we work and trying to make ends meet, and we never, ever, 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 ever see one another because we've got bills to pay, things to do. Number four, blurred roles. This is the attitude that states that everyone is equal. That we're all the same. Can I just tell you something? That's absurd. We are not all the same. Dad, you were not created to be the mom. Mom, you weren't created to be the dad. Can I say something to all the guys real quick? You need to man up. Quit walking around letting your wife be the husband, letting your wife be the dad. God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your household. Man up. Let me move on. That wasn't in my notes, by the way, so that was all free. (laughs) Ladies, it's okay for you to be a lady. 
Guys, it's, it's okay for you to be a guy. As a society, we are so afraid to allow there to be differences that we've blurred the roles of the mother and the father or the husband and of the wife. So how, do, how are we supposed to respond to our culture? Well, Romans chapter 12 tells me this. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed. Don't conform to what society would have you to do. As the rains come down in torrents, as it's pounding upon you, don't be conformed. Did you know that, that rain has the ability to erode and cause great valleys? Have you ever noticed in your yard when you get massive amount of rain, if there's a, a drain area, that suddenly there's a, a rut that begins to take place? Why? Because the, the rains that are coming down cause that rut system. Don't be conformed to this world. I love how the Phillips translation reads this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Wow. Isn't that what society is doing? Well, you just need to tolerate everybody's beliefs. You need to let everybody believe what they believe. No. You've got to be a light to this world. You've got to go and make disciples for the kingdom of God. You've got to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You've got to let them know what God has already done in your heart, in your life, what God has done in your family, what God has done in your marriage. God so loves this world. We have the responsibility to be his mouthpiece, to be his hands, and to be his feet. Don't allow this world to squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed, be changed. Let God renew you by changing the way you think. Obstacle number two, be prepared for the crisis. We're preparing for the culture and the rain. Now we're preparing for the the crisis, which is the flood. Though the rains come in torrents and the flood waters rise. Well, here's a fact for you. This is going to be an encouraging moment for every one of you. Floods are going to come. Well, pastor, how is that encouraging? I told you before I got here. Floods in your life are going to come. They're going to look different for every one, of, every one of us, but there are going to be moments when our world is just turned upside down, when suddenly these external forces throw us into low gear and we just don't know where to go. Floods are devastating. It may occur by an accident, by bankruptcy, some medical issue, cancer, or whatever it may be. A rebellious child that you just don't know what to do with or how to deal with them. Prolonged illness, society pressures, unfaithfulness. At this point, you're just ready to throw in the towel, to give up, to walk out of this family circus. You don't even know what to do anymore. You're tired of the clowns. You're tired of the daredevils. You're tired of the showmen. You just want to give up. You want to walk out. You just can't handle it anymore. You're about ready to, to break under the pressure, and you have these thoughts. Maybe if we just split up for a season, everything will get better. One of the test of our family's strength is how do we handle when life throws us a curveball? How do we handle it when, when suddenly the floods begin to rise? When things don't work out as you have planned? When things really aren't going the way that you thought they were going to go? We prepared for the rain, but we weren't ready for the flood. 
So what's the key? The key is very simply this. Commitment for better or for worse. Those of you in the room that are married, most likely at your wedding ceremony, there was a moment when you said this, I commit myself to you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. You committed yourself, no matter what you come up against, no matter what you face, you're committed to seeing this Family, successful. It's simply the attitude of this. We're in this together. We're a team. By the way, are are teams always happy with one another? Those of you that, that played sports in high school or college, were your teams always happy with one another? No, because there was always that showman. Always that guy that wanted to hold on to the ball all the time. Always that guy that wouldn't pass that ball, Pastor Ryan. I'm just kidding. There was always that guy that was always joking around and not really doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was the clown. The team got aggravated. Are we going to win or not? I don't know. What are we going to do? There was that daredevil that always wanted to dunk the basketball, but he was only five foot four. He was a showman. Man, just because you're on the team doesn't mean you're always going to get along. Can can I be honest with you? There are going to be times when you get so aggravated with your family. Why? Because that's your safe haven. That's, That's the place when you can just let down all the guards and just be real. You can just kind of hang out. So you're going to get aggravated with your family, but you're still a family. You're committed for better, for worse. You're allies. You work through it together. Proverbs chapter 11 tells me this, those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind. One translation says, you inherit air. There's nothing to hold on to. It's empty. Throughout the book of Psalms, it's it's interesting to me that King David oftentimes uses floods as a reminder of life's overwhelming problems. He says, the floods of danger have engulfed me. The floods of depression have overcome me. The floods of my enemies have. And my problems over and over and over. He uses this illustration of of floods representing the overwhelming diversities, the catastrophes, the casualties, the things that come alongside in life that he just can't seem to control. Have you ever tried to control a flood? Several years ago, the house that we lived in at the time had a sump pump, which most of our houses do. The problem was we didn't have a battery backup for the sump pump. So the power went out in the house, yet the waters kept coming in. The first place they would go was the sump pump. So I'm racking my brain. How do we counteract the flood that's getting ready to happen in our house? 
Can, you, can I just tell you, counteracting the flood takes hard work. So we had a young adult at our house one at that moment, and Chandler was there also, and I gave each one of them a cup and a bucket. And I said, I want you to scoop out of that sump pump into this bucket and take it out and dump while I'm trying to find a generator. Can I just tell you, I went out and bought a generator the next day. <laughs> Haven't had to use it since, but I have a generator. Come on, somebody counteracting the floods that are coming was hard work. Scoop after scoop, digging water out of that sump pump so that the water didn't overflow the sump pump and come into the basements. Some of you right now need to get on your hands and feet or your your hands and knees and you need to begin to dig water out of your sump pump because your family is getting ready to get flooded. It's going to take some hard work. But are you committed for better or for worse? Are you committed no matter how hard the rains fall? Are you committed no matter how high the floodwaters come? Are you on the team? Are you part of the family? Are you ready to work together or not? So what do we do when you've got a problem so severe and you don't know where to turn? I want you to listen to Isaiah 43. God is speaking here and he says this, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. First off, that's an encouragement. Listen to the Lord who created you, who knows every detail about your life, who knows the number of hairs upon your head, who knew you by name while you were still in your mama's belly, who has a plan and a purpose for your life, who knows what he has in store for you, who holds the world in his hand. Listen. To the God who created you. O Israel, the one who formed formed you, says, do not be afraid. What? The God, there is water overtaking the sump pump right now. There's no power in the house. The rain's still coming down in torrents. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Come on, I want you to grab a hold of this today. Three things that I see. First off, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Now, let me back up. If you do it on your own, you're going to be scared to death. If you want to do it by yourself, you're going to be petrified. But you don't have to be afraid. If you give it to God, why? Because it says this, for I have ransomed you. I've got a a plan for you. You may not be able to see it. You may not understand it. And the good news is, we don't have to understand it. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path. You may not understand it. You may not recognize how you're going to get to the other side. But there is a purpose behind the problem And God's purpose is always greater than the problem that you'll face. 
Let me say that again. There's a purpose behind the problem, and God's purpose is always greater than the problem that you'll face. Do not be afraid. Number two, recognize God's presence. When you're in a situation beyond your control, remember that God is there. He said this, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. If you've surrendered your life to God, if you've given yourself to Him, no matter what your circus looks like, no matter what the chaos looks like, no matter how high the floodwaters are rising up, I want you to understand that you're not alone because God's presence is with you. Number three, rely on God's protection. Look at what it said. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord. It's having the attitude, God, we're trusting you as we go through this. God, we don't like it. God, we don't want to be here. God, we don't want to go through it. But God, we're going to trust you every step of the way as you see us through. Here's what I've discovered. Oftentimes, as we're going through the high waters, oftentimes as we're experiencing the fire, and we're crying out, God, would you deliver me from this, God? Take it from me, Lord. I don't like this water. I don't like this fire. I don't like the flood. I don't like what I'm going through. He doesn't go, blip, blip. He could. He could just pick you up and move you. But instead, he says, you know what? Come on, let's walk through this together. Do you remember when your kids were little? And, and there was something that they were scared of. I remember when, when Chandler was just at the age. Man, I'm going to owe him a lot. Good thing I don't pay him anything. So he was just at the age he was wanting to ride roller coasters, but he was scared to death to ride roller coasters. You remember those days? So here we are, we're in line, and it's in that moment where, where he's already decided, I'm going to ride this roller coaster. So we're all excited, we're standing there together, and I can see the fear in his eyes as the line's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I can see that we're just about at that place, that he's going to jump ship. And I'm like, we've got to make a change, we've got to do something here. So what did I do? Well, I turned around and we walked away from the roller coaster. No, I didn't. They said, I need two, and we're like two or three people back. I need two, and I'm like, got it. And we jumped over like three people, and we got on that spot from this day forward. He loves roller coasters. But what happened? Dad walked with him. Dad was right beside him. There there have been times that we've been on a coaster, literally, that I was scared to death. Tower of Terror. Disney or one of those places, he's sitting beside me. He had already ridden it. He was a little older at that point. I was scared to death. In fact, I look at him, I'm like, dude, dad is scared right now. Because you're like pitch black dark and you don't know what's going to happen. He didn't tell me it was really no big deal. After I did, I was like, well, that was a waste of fright. (laughs) But there, there are times in our lives that we may be scared. That we don't know where to turn, but what we have to understand, what we have to remember is God's right there beside us, walking with us every step of the way, leading us through the fire, leading us 
through the deep waters. But he assured us, you will not drown. You will not burn up. You will not be consumed. Why? For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Obstacle number three, be prepared for the change. Did you know that change happens in your family? This is the wind that's blowing. Verse 25, though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against the house. We not only have rains in our culture, we don't just have floods of adversary in our culture, but we have winds of change, winds blowing in every direction. They're constantly changing. The fact is this, your family is always changing. Angie and I this year will celebrate 20 years of marriage. Yeah. Can you believe that she's put up with me that long? And I look at our relationship and I think, man, we have changed so much in 20 years. I mean, she was so quiet 20 years ago. And I was more rambunctious than I am now. Can you believe that? But both of us have changed. We've more. In fact, I, I got my license renewed just the other day, and they said, is everything correct on here? The weight says 170. I said, it's a goal. It's a goal. I'm working for change. There's going to be change in your life. Sometimes that change is good. Sometimes that change is not good. Sometimes it's improving. Sometimes it's deteriorating. It just does not stand still. Here's what I've discovered. If you're not growing together, you're growing apart. I want you to look at your family right now. Either you're growing together or you're growing apart. One of the biggest complaints I have when I'm talking to married couples is this. Well, we just grew apart. I just don't know him anymore. I just don't know her anymore. During your life of your marriage or during your life of your family, you will change emotionally. You will change intellectually. You will change spiritually. You will change in every way possible. Again, change is not always for the best. So what are you going to do when it gets hard? Are you going to work through it together? For better, for worse? Are you committed? You're going to walk out. Say, well, he's not the man that I married. That may be true. But you married him for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. That's why these vows, these these promises are so important. got your wedding ring. I want to talk to the married couples for a moment. I was performing the wedding ceremony yesterday and, and part of the ceremony, we took a moment, we talked about the, the wedding ring. And one of the things that I said to them and to the congregation that was in the room, I said, these wedding rings are a constant reminder. A reminder of the commitments 
that this couple is making one to another. That every day, every thought that they have, every action that they take, it's a reminder to them of the commitment that they have for better, for worse. Even when change takes place, when the rains of culture and the floods of diversity and the winds of change begin to beat against your marriage, begin to beat against your family, do you have a solid foundation? Some of you are going through deep waters right now. Some of you put on a pretty good front when you get in here, but man, the moment you get back in the car, it all breaks loose. You don't remember the last time that a kind word was spoken in your house. But here's what I've discovered. Change starts here. Oh, well, they're just not the same person. They need to change. Change starts here. I can't change somebody else, but I can change me. And every time that I've met with a couple and we talked about their family situation, here's what I've discovered. It's both sides. Not once has it ever been, well, yeah, he is the jerk, isn't he? Sometimes it's, he's a jerk, but you got an issue too. He's like how I filtered right there. (laughs) There were things that I was going to say, but I said issue instead. (laughs) The change starts here. It starts with looking inside of yourself and saying, God, what do I need to do different? God, if I, if I want to see a change happen in my family, if I want to see this family circus of mine be successful with you, God, if I want to learn how to work with the clowns and the daredevils, God, if I want to learn how to work with all the showmen in my house, God, if I want to change what needs to happen, change right here. You're tempted to give up. You're tempted to throw in the towel. You're not really sure if it's worth it, but Jesus said one man built his house upon the rock, the other man built his house upon the sand. And I ask you today, what value system, what foundation are you building your house upon? Is it the rock? Or is it the sand? What's the foundation of your family circus? See, our scripture goes on to say this, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. The foundation of any stable home Regardless of the clowns, regardless of the daredevils, regardless of the showmen in the circus, the foundation must be a bedrock. I don't know what your foundation looks like today, but I know the one that you can turn to. I know the one that holds the answer for you question is are you willing to make the proper change are you
you willing to do the hard work of preparation?